Second Kings chapter 6, and I'll read three verses in your hearing. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early. What a great place to be in, to be the servant of the man of God. He, he got up early, and perhaps it is his custom to prepare the home. Gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, so the servant said unto Elisha, Alas, my master, how shall we do? There is much in the question. How can we escape? Are we going to live? What are we going to do now? And the prophet said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Nice word, huh? When you have a dilemma and you hear someone say, don't worry about it. What do you reply? Easy for you to say. And Elisha prayed. Okay, thank you. Pray, pray the prayer number 117. You know, open up the earth, swallow them. Pray the prayer, hailstones coming down. Pray one of the plagues of Moses. <laughs> but the Lord prayed, I'm sorry, Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Wait, wait a second. They were around Elisha. I'm giving this for free. They were around Elisha. If the servant wanted to be saved, he needed to be with the prophet. They weren't surrounding the servant. He was just in the right position. All right. And I preach today, fire and bread. And all the people said, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them that they are a handsome individual. And then you may be seated. down but you put your Bibles on your laps or beside you and with your hands would you offer a clap offering unto our God and out of your mouth would you just say praises to the most high come on out of your mouth we give you glory and praise and honor and might and power blessed be the Lamb of God hallelujah Jesus amen I'm standing here filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, being led of the Spirit is a daily task. Not arduous or taxing, but consequential to the path. 
if by any means you and I are to stand or walk with integrity or in honesty, it must come by way of the direction of the Holy Spirit. If this is a Spirit-led church, then we have to be led of the Spirit. We can't say those words without some evidence of it. I don't know exactly how the Lord speaks to everyone. He speaks to me in multiple different ways. There is no monopoly on his voice. He comes in unknown ways, but they are certain. Sometimes he moves in process, but then at times he rides on a swift cloud. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall not be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. <laughs> and so he leads us today. I'm struck by the many teachings of Jesus Christ, none higher than a parable that we recognize as the prodigal son. It has been reviewed thousands, perhaps millions of times, dissected on every level. A very present and caring father an older son who relies on his own goodness and his own works. He has some contempt for the deeds of his younger brother. And then there is that younger son who spends wastefully until he is depleted. Some call it, maybe more appropriately, the parable of a faithful father, which seems to be correct. Luke never records even the word prodigal. We gave him that title. It is the reunion of the father and the son that strikes a chord. It is the heartbeat of the sacrificial savior who would have all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The second son has taken his share. He spent it. He finds himself bound to the confines of a trough. The inference is that the father was on the lookout, that even daily he was looking, that he did not accidentally stumble upon the rooftop and see his son coming home. He's holding out hope. It's a long distance sight. The Bible says, but when he was yet afar off, a great way off, his father saw him. Implying that his father was looking all the time. Lost, wayward, altogether aimless son. It culminated with a joyful celebration and a feast, bread and meat, the fatted calf. This immutable God, our never-changing God, was and is found in, in the confines of our time. He is the same, the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. I hope you can hear me now. Listen with your whole heart. The Lord has the power to heal us in every measure of our mind, our body, and our soul. Jesus is here. 
He is as close as the mention of his name. The sickness of the body is the physical ailment which attends to this mortal, mortal life. The sickness of our mind is the emotional disruption of tormented thoughts and words of discontent that eat away at our contemplation. But Jesus has healed them all and he can heal all of them. He healed people of incurable diseases, leprosy, cancer, tumors, the lame, withered hands, and so much more. But he also restored people to mental health, clearing their minds of anguish, none greater than the tormented man of Gadara. Jesus healed him, and the next line finds the man, the Bible says, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. He is here today to heal your body and your mind. He can heal your body where you're sitting, right where you are. We can anoint you with oil. You can come to the front. But if you mention his name right now, he can heal you in the stillness of your seat. He can give you a new mind. And while you're hearing the word, he's going to wash someone with the water of the word. Let the healing flow right now in this house and for everyone who's watching, let the healing flow right now in Jesus' name according to your divine will and your loving kindness. Uh, I feel it moving. Just, just lift your voice or your hand or something and let him heal you, touch you right where you're sitting. He wants to heal your thought. Yet I... I love all of that. We'll never stop praying that way. But there is an illness greater than the physical ailment or the emotional suffering. It's a soul sickness. <laughs> and the greater of all is that Jesus can heal your soul. Your body is fragile and your mind is not always going to function like you want it to. But you can recover your soul and the worth of it cannot be told. The operation of the church of Jesus Christ is in the witness of souls saved, eternities rearranged, destinies determined. There is no greater joy than being born again of the water and of the spirit, the healing of your eternal soul. We're not the first to know this. The apostles knew it and they spoke of it. I quote, John's writing, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper, that you're in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Peter said, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from all that lust. They, it wars against your soul. James said, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and someone converts him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the air brought him back of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Yeah. 
the apostles understood the value of the soul. The soul, the healed soul is greater than all the rest. Sadly, loved ones have a deterioration of brain cells and chemical responses and there's Alzheimer's and there's Parkinson's disease and, and there's things that come with, with sickness and the breakdown of the human body. And they're not all going to be healed. They're going to, they're going to perish. And then there's, there, there's body ailments and not all are going to be healed and they're going to perish. And some are going to live and die with memories that they're struggling with. And all of that can be healed. But at the end, if your soul is saved, you've got it all. You've got everything you need. And I know that in this life, we will all struggle. Paul wrote about the struggle. That war was raging in him. I thank God that he was so transparent and honest. He talked about it, pulling him from side to side. His intentions, Paul said, laid waste on the heap of human goodness. Once, when Jesus was teaching, the people even asked the Lord, Lord, who then could be saved? Who can be saved? The answer is both simple and complex. In one word, the simplicity of it is called grace. The unmerited favor of a loving and suffering Savior, grace. It comes by way of my obedience to his breathed word. It comes by way of my repentance and his forgiveness. His grave and my burial. His resurrection and my acceptance of his Holy Spirit. And again, all of it by grace. It is the gift of God. But the complexity is the path by which he opened up our eyes. He could have crushed all of us. No one is ever good enough to be saved. No one is ever good enough to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He could have and he should have removed all of us. We are all stained. David even said, who am I that you would even consider me? What is man that you are mindful of him? You can read this in your Bible. I'll use a couple of different versions in Lamentations 3.19. The, the writer said, I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness, the gall, all that corruptness in me. I well remember them, my soul downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Here's verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, the Lord. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I hope in him. My soul has something to say today. The Lord is my portion. He took us. Such were some of you. Lost, blind, crippled, disheveled. Souls needing healing. The Lord is our portion. Not money. Not fame. Not position. Not the elements of this temporal life. But the Lord is my portion. I wish you could grasp it. I wish you could understand it. Uh, our text that I read is a standalone sermon. I preached it and I love it and I want to preach it again. Just as it, as it rests there. But if I read the old chapter, it's filled with wonder and amazement. The spiritual manifestation is almost beyond our comprehension. The king of Syria, the Bible says, warred against Israel. He took counsel with his servants, saying, we're going to attack Israel in this place or that place. But it wasn't a real war. 
because no one fought. A battle is not a real battle if no one's fighting and it takes two to tango. Now, I've never tangoed, but mostly because I ain't got no one to tango with. If you said that you were going to war, but no one will fight you, then it's not really a war. It's like the guy who proclaimed himself to be a leader. The problem was no one was following. So if you believe that you're a leader, but you have no one following, you're probably just out for a walk. (laughs) It's very funny to me, but I've already laughed in my office. The king of Syria wanted to fight. It, it took a lot of work to get the army together, the supplies, the food support staff. There was planning and preparation, perhaps even motivational speeches by captains and other leaders, men gathered, generals. We're going to do it. They're all fired up. They're all ready to go. Misplaced fury, but no one to face. They're demoralized as they dragged their swords back home. They ate all the sausage. They ate all the food. They go back home and there's no battle. Maybe it was demoralizing, but for certain it was frustrating. The king of Syria even began to accuse his own men of sharing information. He rose up and said, who is the traitor? Now to be sure, the king of Syria is not an intellectual giant. Because traitors are hung, they're beheaded, or they're tortured. No one would admit to the king to be a traitor. It's enough to silence the room. But someone did raise their hand. He said, oh king, we are all with you. It's not us. It's that prophet over in Dothan, Elisha. He knows everything that we're doing. He knows what you even say in the privacy of your own bedroom. God tells him, and in turn, he tells the king of Israel. And the king of Syria, this intellectually deprived leader, says, Good, let's go kill him. He'll never see us coming. The king of Syria gathered his army. They go to Dothan. To sneak up on the man who knew everything that they were doing. And we're not sure, but maybe Elisha was sleeping in that day. But the servant was up early. He, he was up early preparing something. He looked out and behold, the army of Syria, whatever army they had, whatever band of men, they're surrounded by the enemy. And he saw trouble. The servant saw the enemy. He saw men who were against him. He saw heathens, vicious warriors, and what he saw invoked fear. Fear was what he felt because of what he saw. But it's what he did not see that really mattered. But it's hard to believe in what your eyes cannot behold. This is what Thomas said. Unless... I touch him and see him. I won't believe. And Jesus said, come on, touch me. But more blessed are they who believe and have never seen. He'll welcome you to touch him and see him. But there's more blessing in believing when you cannot see. And then comes this prayer of Elisha, the ever steady prophet. He says, I'm going to pray for you. 
Now this could have invoked comfort, except the prayer wasn't the one he wanted. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Here's verse 17. Elisha prayed, the Lord, I I want you to open his eyes. Let him see, let this young man see, and behold the mountain, horses, chariots, fire. Now it makes sense. Verse 16 does not make sense without verse 17. Don't fear, we have more with us. But you're blinded. When the prophet tells you, verse 16, and you rebuff him, it's because we have the limitation of our mortal flesh. It inhibits the view of the mighty hand of God. We struggle. The man of God says to us, stay, stay, still, keep working. God's on our side. It's going to be okay. And you reply, how can that be okay? Can't you see what I'm going through? The word came to the people. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But we struggle with verse 16. Because we cannot see that there are more with us than are with them. And the two of us don't look very strong standing together. But it's not what you can see that makes the difference, ladies and gentlemen. It's who you cannot see that makes the difference. You think you're alone. You're not alone. The angels of the Lord encamp around about them that fear him and deliver them. Wherever you go, come on, let me just tell all the blood-bought people, you've got a host of angels camping around about you. When you get in your car and when you get home and when you go to work and when you walk down the road, there's a group of angels you cannot see. It's what you cannot see that should give you confidence. It's in the word. Even more, our view has trouble with the wide lens of God's goodness. His mercy is for us, but it's never just for us. It's for everyone, even for those wayward, troubled, and depleted souls. Even those who come against us with a sword need the Lord. They're bitter and they're angry. They come looking for a fight. But I want to tell you, God's grace is for them also. (sighs) All All of what I speak today is going to take some very serious spiritual insight. And I'm praying for our church today. There is a recovery here. I pray that the Lord will open your eyes that you may see. I'm praying for everyone from my right to left. Lord, open their eyes that they may see. I want us to see the great revival that's coming through your home, your hands, and your life. I want you to see and witness that the Lord has been on your side the whole time. I want you to take confidence and see you've never been standing alone. The Lord has been with you. I pray God would open up your eyes and your spirit to understand you have power and authority over all the darkness of this world. I pray, open their eyes that they may see. Every downward spirit, every negative thought, everything that comes against you, I pray that the Lord would open up your vision so that you would know you've got a mission to accomplish. You've got a word to give. You've got a ministry to fulfill. I pray that the Lord open your eyes. And when you are open to the Lord, he's going to show you the whole time what has been there. And he's never going away from you. (laughs) 
don't have confidence yet because you haven't seen. But when you see, you're not going to have any more fear. You're going to have a change of disposition. I pray, recover the people today. What once was fearful is going to become bold. I pray, Lord, open up our eyes that we may see. I pray that we have a sense of the end time and a burden for the lost, I pray. Uh, I pray that we would get the mind of God. I pray. And I pray today that we can feel the heart of our great God. We love his mighty hand. There is authority in that hand. But we also need to see his face. It's full of compassion and grace. His strength is ablaze on the hillside. But remember that his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Yes, there are mounted fiery angels surrounding the enemy. Yes, there are chariots of fire which cannot be consumed. That is the mighty hand of God. The power of just one single angel was enough to wipe out the whole band of Syrians. Just one was enough. That was a show of strength. It was the hand of his power and might. Moses said it like this, and I quote, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And I say today, we need to rejoice in the mighty hand of God. The Lord has triumphed gloriously. The hand of God has delivered us. But his heart, well, that's how we survive every day, new every morning. With all of our many inconsistencies and troubles, he brought the children of Israel out with a mighty hand, but he kept them through his tender mercies. And then his grace, the simplicity and complexity of his grace, easy to say, difficult to comprehend, tender mercy and enduring grace. I, I grew up listening to the radio, KMOX, out of St. Louis. It's because... My father listened to the radio. We heard everything on the radio. Our news, entertainment, sports, all came through the radio. In the evening time, there was a little program. It was a real good speaker. I don't, I don't know what he looks like, but I can remember his voice. His name was Paul Harvey. And he had a little segment called The Rest of the Story. I think his presentation was about context. He put people that we knew into context. He put a well-known story into a placement so that we can have a broader understanding and view. It meant more than what we thought we knew. It was the rest of the story. So I need a little Paul Harvey. I need the spirit of Paul Harvey. Elisha and that servant saw the outer rings of the warriors of God. Those Syrians were surrounding them. And then the army of the Lord. One stood in leather and the other in flames. The servant's eyes were open, but afterward, Elisha prayed again. See, his first prayer was that his servant would have an open vision. But his second prayer was that the army of the Syrians would be blind. 
Now his servant could see, and the enemy was blind. And then Elisha went to the Syrian men, and he said, follow me. You're not in the right place. You've made it to the wrong city. And they all began to follow him like the Pied Piper. He walks them all the way into the capital city of Israel called Samaria. This is the rest of the story. Now I'm rejoicing in the mountain full of fire. But I've got to tell you the rest. Because all you saw was the hand of God. You didn't see his heart. You didn't see his face. And they followed the voice of the prophet all the way into the clutches of Israel's lair. An army of blind men. And when they arrived, Elisha prayed a third time. I would never want to get around him. He could blind you, open your eyes, blind you. He can do whatever. One day you see, next day you don't. Now you're seeing all kinds of things. When they arrived, he prayed a third time. Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Here's verse 21. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? Now, usually when there's a repetitive line, the scripture, it means great emphasis. Assyrians are, are not just anybody. They are the lost sons of Abraham. They are from Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the bondwoman. They were the distant cousins of Jacob, the distant nephews of Isaac. But they're lost they're wayward. They spent all of their inheritance and they're altogether aimless, blind and now bound. And the king was Joram, the younger. He thinks this is his opportunity for revenge, for victory. His age invokes the words, my father, when he talks to the prophet, my father. Not a relationship, just age. Shall we kill them? Let me kill them. And the old prophet who has led these men into the midst of the very prepared city, he will reply to the king and reveal the heart and face of God. See, you've seen the hand of God. He's awesome in power, but he's very slow to anger and he is of great kindness. That's what Jonah replied. He wanted God's hand of judgment against Nineveh, but Nineveh repented. And Jonah said, I, I knew that you would not kill them. I knew it. This is, this, Jonah, this is in the Bible. He said, this is exactly what I said when I was still at home. Here's verse 2 of Jonah 4. I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and that you would repent of the evil, that you would just turn your back. I knew at the first mention of sorrow, if they repented just a single glimpse of remorse, you would turn away from your judgment. Your hand is gone and now your face appears. I said this very thing when I was at home. That's why I didn't want to come here because I knew that your hand was great but I also knew your heart was greater. And Elisha turns to that young and misled king who's seeking for personal glory. He said, no, we're not going to kill them. Instead, here's the rest of the story in verse 22. Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with a sword? They, they can't even defend themselves. But set bread and water that they may eat and drink and then let them go back. 
And here's what the king did. He prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. There is another way to have victory in your life. You see, a healed soul will never seek that path again. When your soul is healed, it means that you've been changed. <laughs> Fire, yes, but also bread. Authority in the spirit, taking dominion and rebuke, yes, but also fellowship. And an open hand of love and a heart of mercy. You see, Elisha had the answer. It was what Paul called the ministry of reconciliation. And it was never more profound that day when the entirety of those Syrian men stood helpless in the middle of Israel. Elisha did not lead them just to see them slaughtered. He did not set them up just to cut them down. He brought them there to feed them bread. The father said it like this, kill the fatted calf. We will make no mention of that he squandered his his whole inheritance we won't kill him or destroy him we won't just we won't we won't besmirch him but we're going to rejoice that the sons and the daughters have come back home and maybe just maybe there'll be a healing of the soul and they'll never go back to fight these battles again i want you to be healed and i want you to have authority over the enemy and I want our church to stand against unrighteousness and debauchery. And in a world that is confusing everything and misleading everybody and destroying the word of God and changing mankind into the likeness of the devil. I want us to rise against this. But I want our church not just have and seek the hand of God. I want us to seek the face and the heart of our great God. We're going to prepare bread at a banquet. And the soul is going to be healed and restored. One of the sisters in this church some time ago who finally said, I, I just feel like I need a little closer walk with God. And she made a step toward the Lord that she had not made in a long time. And when it was all said and done, she said to me, Pastor, I feel like my soul has been recovered. My soul has been saved. Ah, I want you to be healed. I want you to have dominion. I don't want you to live in sickness and darkness. and I don't want you to struggle with mentality and all the stuff that clouds your mind. I want you to be healed. But I know from just years of experience, I, I, I pray there's been moments when people have shifted around where, where, where they're better and then they get worse. And then someone else and they're better and then they get worse and then they get better and, and they're up in their town. I know all those struggles and there's memories that cannot be fixed and haunting things and there's scars of life and then there's physical ailments and sickness and we've seen so many wonderful miracles. But if you if you have none of those things happen to you, the one thing that I want is that the Lord, the God Almighty, would heal your soul. And I'll tell you how the church is going to do it. We're going to give out bread. I can't preach all these sermons at one time, but the basis of this church is called bread is for the hungry. 
And you got to go back and, and then here bread is for the hungry. Because the bread is not just for the church. It's not just for us. It's for the hungry. You got to know it's all for the hungry. It's all for the hungry. Listen, and the people you think that will never be saved and that are against you and want to devour you and want to destroy you, instead of killing them and leading to a place where you can slaughter them, it's time for you to get on your knees and pray blessings on them and heap coals of fire on their head. That means you warn them. That means you bless them. You're angry at people, but God's not angry. He wants to save their soul. Can you hear pastor right now? It is not the will of God for you to be angry every day and to be mad every day. And like one of our esteemed brothers, he said, and I'll quote him, he said, apostolic is kind. To be kind is apostolic. <laughs> oh. I know I've... I've when I, when, I, when I walk around this world and see people, I feel the angst and I feel the tension. And, I, and every day, you, you don't even have to see. You can read a little bit of news. You can see a lot of news, whatever. It's all based on anger. It's, it's based on getting you riled up. You don't look at people the same way. Now you're angry. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to divide everybody and split off. We're not just divided in halves. We're fractured. You know why we're fractured? Because we forgot about the bread. We forgot about the heart of God. We forgot that the, that the Lord can take the dirtiest, rottenest sinner who misused all the Father's things and bring them back. And if they come back, instead of having a party, well, let's see how long that lasts. Well, I don't know. Now, can you ever trust them again? Well, I, I, I don't know. Why, why would we ever welcome them? I'll tell you, that's not what the Father said. The Father said, go get that fatted calf. Now, how did he have a fatted calf? How did they know which one was the fatted one? Because he was preparing long before the prodigal came home. He said, hey, he's gone, but let's get the calf ready. I want you to feed him the good grain. Because one of these days we're going to have a party. And I'm going to go to the rooftop and I'm going to be looking for him. I feel recovery. I feel the spirit of recovery. I feel the ministry of reconciliation. I want to stand and say, no, no, you haven't gone too far. There's still bread in the house for you. The soul shall be healed. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. If I got anything to boast about, it's my soul has been saved. Come on now, come on, my soul has been saved. Stop bragging about your job. Stop bragging about your stuff. It means nothing. It's all going to waste away. But you should brag about my soul. I'm going to make a boast that my soul has been saved. Not position. Watch this. Not even ministry places. Because God can use you. And then he can take you out. People can flock to you in the wilderness. And the next day, they can cut your head off and serve it on a silver charger. I ain't boasting in that. I ain't boasting about a sermon or a lesson or a building or nothing. My soul makes her boast in the Lord. Everybody's going to hear about it. They're going to be glad for me. They're going to say, I'm so glad, your soul. Here's the word. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, this is Jesus, in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. That secure means help. He's going to help you. Because he already knows what it's like to suffer and be tempted. He can save your soul. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And had given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ. The eternal spirit was in the mortal man. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he hath committed unto us bread. Bread. A hand of fellowship. A heart that's like God. To a world that's suffering and hurting. Yes. In Jesus' name. Let the love of God prevail in this house. Let mercy and grace prevail in this house. I pray for banquet tables of bread, a feast, a meat, and drink. I pray, Lord, that there would be a great preparation for an end-time revival. We're going to recover, Lord. We're going to see new, and we're going to see old, and we're going to see them all in Jesus' name. I pray for your son. I pray for your daughter. I pray for your father and your mother and your uncle and your cousin. I pray for your neighbor. I pray for the people that used to know the Lord. I pray for all those that were baptized in Jesus' name but they have not darkened the church doors in decades of time but I pray Lord give up north and give up south and give up east and give up west I feel the spirit of prophecy on me and I prophesy today that God is going to break something in us all we've got to do is prepare the feast and they will come and we will love them into Jesus Christ Yes, Yay! Yay! Let me tell you why you're struggling. You're struggling because you've never rejoiced over recovery. You're struggling because you're seeing people that squandered everything and then are suddenly promoted. And you're wondering how you got passed over. Because you thought goodness, your own goodness, was enough to constitute the favor of God. But you failed in a couple areas. Number one, you're never good enough. Stay faithful, but always know he's good. That's why you have the opportunity. And number two, if anybody around you recovers from one week to the next, your job is not to worry about where they're headed, where they've come from. Your job is to rejoice over where they are. They're rejoicing. You're rejoicing. They're loving God. They're worshiping. 
You don't get up and say, well, I don't know where they're going to be next week. You don't have to know. I don't know where they came from last week. You don't have to know what you've got to do is say, thank you, Lord, because the Lord is good. And in this moment, we will give you glory. Save their soul. I feel the presence of the Most High God. Let the Lord prevail. Let me ask you something. Where do you think you would be if his mercies were not fresh every morning? Where do you think you would, you would land if his faithfulness was intermittent and not every day faithful, faithful, great is thy faithfulness? Where do you think you would go? Where, where do you think you would? Do you think you could pick yourself up and bring yourself to God? Did you ever think that your righteousness was so profound and so wonderful? Don't you know what the Bible says about how righteous you are? It's like the filthy rag. It's the, it's the dish rag. It's the dirt rag. That's what we come. But when we got to God and he saved our soul, he gave us something that we could not give ourselves. I'll tell you what our problem is. Our problem is we were forgiven, but we hold on against people. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. But I preach, Lord, right now. You're going to give us fire. You're going to give us bread. You're going to give us authority. You're going to give us kindness. You're going to give us dominion. You're going to give us fellowship. And by all those means, this is what, this is what the Bible says. You're going to save them. Some through fear and some through love. Paul said, I prefer love. <laughs> I'm going to preach about hell because you need to know about it. Because it's real. It's not a fictitious thing. I'm going to preach about love because without it, you're going to die. I'm going to preach about the fire of the Lord and the mighty hand of God and taking authority over the enemy. But I'm also going to tell you about the bread and about the ministry of reconciliation and about how we're going to gather the end time revival. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord, for saving our soul. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so full and free. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation. So full and free. Just lift your hand right now. Come on, all the saints. For the saints are just the sinners who fall down. <laughs> I'm putting bread in my hand today, Lord. I'm putting the word of kindness, the heart of God, the face of the Most High. Yes. We're going to pray for recovery today. And there are people even in this house that need to be recovered. You're going to be recovered today. You're going to be restored today. Young men, young ladies, adults, moms, dads, grandfathers, 
We're praying for recovery today. Ah. Lord, I thank you for what you did for that servant and you took fear away from him. I thank you, Lord, for opening his eyes to the unknown, the unseen. I thank you, Lord, for surrounding us and giving us great authority. I thank you for the prophet that saved a host of Syrians. I thank you, Lord, for the preparation of bread. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for a battle won in the most uncommon way. Now you'll fight all our battles today, Lord. We'll employ the goodness of God and we'll return to others the mercy and grace you gave to us. In Jesus' name. We're praying for recovery today. If you feel like you need to be recovered, restored, renewed, or if you know of someone that you need to help, I want you to come close to this altar. And I want you to speak to the Lord about that very specific need.